the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we come expectantly trusting that you will reveal to us good news, Lord God, that you will transform our hearts, transform our lives to see all the treasures that we have in Christ, Lord. God, I pray that you would help us to see and to know your goodness this morning. In Christ's name, amen. One of the uh, most brilliant inventions in my estimation is something called the red box. Maybe you've heard of the red box. It's at every Walgreens and Walmart you can find. And uh, you can put a dollar in and you can get a new release for one night and take it back. Um, But I did even one better than that. At a garage sale two weeks ago, I found a brand new, unopened DVD version of Batman Begins. One dollar. All right, one dollar, and I never have to return it, okay, which is great. One of my favorite movies. And in this movie, Batman, if you've never seen Batman, um, just repent, okay? (laughs) Repent because you should have seen Batman. But in the movie Batman, uh, there's this young kid named Bruce Wayne, and Bruce Wayne loses his parents at a very young age. And so he's raised by this guardian named Alfred. He's the butler. And Alfred teaches Bruce... Um, you know, how to conduct himself. He guards, him, he guards Bruce from uh, injury, from pain, from suffering. He raises Bruce as his guardian. Now, he's not his dad, but he's teaching Bruce what he needs to know so that when the time comes where Bruce fully inherits the whole Wayne Enterprises, he's ready. Paul talks about the law of God as a guardian. Three times in this passage, he calls the law of God a guardian. And it's a guardian until Christ comes. And what we see is that the way that the law is a guardian is that it actually, in one way, and we talked about this last week, in one way, the holiness of God's law, the perfection of it, shows our unholiness, shows how sinful we are and our need for a holy Savior. And so it points us to Christ. In another way, there's what's called the ceremonial law of the Old Testament, in which there was a sacrificial sacrificial system in which God said, your sin must be paid for. There must be bloodshed for your sin to pay for your sin. And that sacrificial system of animals was to point to the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ. He says this here in verse 25. He says, but now that faith has come, where you're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And so he's saying, when Christ had come, the people of God were no longer under a guardian. Something had radically changed when Jesus came. And that you're no longer under law, but you are in Christ. 
He goes on to talk about being in Christ, this union with Christ. In verse 27, he says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So what this, this word baptism here, what it cannot mean is water baptism. You know, as we see people baptized, their infants or adults get baptized, it cannot mean water baptism. One, because the whole book, the whole letter, Paul is arguing against this sacramental regeneration, basically meaning that you take the Lord's Supper, you, you get baptized, and you're saved. He argues against that the entire book. And so we'll trust that Paul's not a complete idiot and contradicts himself here. And so what does this mean? What it means is it's a picture of our union with Christ, that when we trust in Christ, that we're actually united to him as waves would wash over us. And it says that we are clothed in Christ. There's other illustrations of this union with Christ. And this is really what we're going to focus on a lot today is what happens in our union with Christ. It's a mysterious, glorious, wonderful truth. And Paul and God kind of gives us illustrations to help explain it. One of the illustrations he gives is in John 15, when Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. You're grafted into me. Through me, you get your nourishment. You get your nutrients. You get life. Also, in 1 Corinthians 12, they illustrate this union with Christ by talking about how we are one body. Some of us are hands. Some of us are feet. Jesus is the head, and we are united to him in this mysterious and wonderful way if we trust in him. Paul even talks very specifically about union with Christ. In Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In Colossians 1.27, he says, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so throughout the Bible, you see this very amazing truth that we are mysteriously and amazingly united to Christ. And Paul talks about this over and over and over again. When you read his letters, he talks about we are in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And it's all referring back to this mysterious, wonderful, amazing union we have with Jesus Christ. And we'll dig into that a little bit more. But the reason why this is so important to us, for us to understand that when we trust in Christ, we are united to him, is because all the blessings that are given to Jesus are also given to those who are in Christ, those who are united to Jesus Christ. It is through our union with Christ that we actually receive all the blessings from God. And so in the movie Batman, uh, Bruce Wayne gets this entirely huge mansion, right, and full of, full of many rooms. But Jesus has even a greater inheritance, And he has so many blessings we can't even count. And so what we're going to do today is I'm going to take you on a tour through your mansion that you own if you trust in Jesus Christ. Because this is Christ's house full of blessings and riches. And we're going to go through this and we're going to open up doors and we're going to look and see all the blessings that are yours if you trust in Christ. If you're here today and you're just checking out Christianity and you're not really sure and you're like, why on earth would anyone become a Christian? You came to the right service because we're going to explore the reasons that Paul gives of all the blessings of being united to Christ. All right. And so we're going to look through those blessings of union with Christ. And uh, I actually have six points today. Usually I have 
two or three. So we'll go quickly. I promise it won't be an hour sermon, all right? Um, In union with Christ, one of the blessings is that you are justified. Verse 24 says it this way. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. What justification is, being justified, it's a legal term. And what it means is that you are declared righteous. You are declared holy. You are declared as if you had never, ever, ever sinned. See, in the law, God reveals our sinfulness. But in union with Christ, he guarantees that you will be accounted as righteous on the day of judgment. And it's a glorious and wonderful blessing that he gives to us. To give you a quick illustration, uh, You guys have all surfed on the internet before. Maybe you have done this where you have gone on the internet and you've been like, man, I've gone to websites I'm not supposed to, either because there's sexual content or because there's gambling or there's gaming and you're not supposed to do it at work. And so you go and you clear the history and you're like, whoo, good, that's gone. In a way, what God does is God clears our history. He clears our guilty record, not by forgetting it, not by sending it out into cyberspace. He clears our record by sending his son to die for us. And so our guilty record, our guilty history is placed upon Christ and Christ pays for it on the cross so that we can be justified, declared righteous and innocent before God as if you have never, ever, ever, ever sinned. And that's what it means to be justified. And it comes only through faith. It doesn't come through the law. Secondly, the second room we'll look in is that in union with Christ, you are one with Christians. Verse 28 puts it this way. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul really targets three areas here. First, he goes for the ethnicity of people, that there is no chosen race for God. There's no chosen nation for God, that they're all equal in God's economy. He also looks at our status, that whether you're rich or poor, whether you're free or slave, whether you're happy or sad, we're all one in Christ. And then finally, and this is what I love, is that God says, let me restore to you the image of women. Men and women are equal in the kingdom of God. They have dignity and value. They are loved and they are cherished by their Heavenly Father. And so he goes through this list showing that we are all one in Christ, that we are one with each other, and that he has abolished these differences. Not that the distinctions don't still exist, but they they don't even matter anymore. Because when we look at the law and when we look at Christ, what we see is that all of us, No matter what the color of our skin is, no matter what our bank account says, all of us are sinful. All of us look at the law of God and say, I am guilty. But all of us that trust in Christ are redeemed. All of us have this mansion, this inheritance with the riches of Christ because of our union with Christ. And so when we understand what God has done for us, it takes away our arrogance. It takes away our pride. When you look at the Packers, you see a team of men. They're all wearing the same uniform. They're all united, but they all come from very different backgrounds. Some of them came from backgrounds where uh, they were extremely poor. Some came from backgrounds where they were very wealthy. Uh, They all came from different schools for the most part. And yet they come together and they're united together because they have this commonality among them. They all play for the Packers. They're all professional football players. 
In Christ, not only are we, do we have something in common with Christians, we're actually united to them spiritually. See, if I am united to Jesus Christ, and you're united to Jesus Christ, and you're united to Jesus Christ, and you're united to Jesus Christ, that means that we're united to each other. Because there's only one Jesus. And we're all united to him, and therefore united to each other. That's why when we take the Lord's Supper, it is so important that if you have not gone to a brother and sister and said, please forgive me for the way that I sinned against you, that you should wait, that you shouldn't take the Lord's Supper, that you should go and repent to that brother and sister and then come the next week. And so we are one in Christ. We have this union with each other. And what this prevents is Christian snobbery. That's what I call it. Churches today, Christians will say, you know, I'm a better Christian because I'm part of this denomination, part of that denomination, because I'm smarter, because I'm not as heady, because I have more heart, whatever it might be. There's just arrogance. And what Jesus is saying is that in the kingdom of God, there isn't Presbyterian, there isn't Baptist, there isn't non-denominational, which is a denomination, there isn't Pentecostal, there's only one. All that are in Christ those that are united to Christ, that's it. And so if we see that God would accept such a diverse group of people and unite them to himself, God calls us, you accept your brothers and sisters in Christ. You are united to them. It doesn't matter what nation they come from. It doesn't matter what nation they live in. They're your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so one of the blessings of union with Christ is that we're also united with other Christians. Thirdly, the third room we'll look in is that you're also the offspring of Abraham. Verse 29 says this, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Now, the problem with this is just a few verses earlier, Paul says something that seems to contradict this. In verse 16, he says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to offspring, who is Christ. And so earlier you have Paul making this adamant argument that there's only one offspring, and that offspring is Jesus Christ. And then later in verse 29, he makes the argument that all of you that trust in Christ are offspring. And so again, assuming that Paul is not an idiot, what does this mean? Well, the only way to make sense of it is if we are united to Jesus Christ. In our union with Christ, all the blessing comes to Jesus. And if we're united to him, we too receive all the blessings of Abraham. We receive that mansion with all the blessings that are in it. We possess it. It's ours, whether we know it or not. Because of our union with Christ, we get the blessing from Abraham, what God promised to Abraham and to his offspring, the salvation of sinners. Fourthly, the fourth room we'll look in is, in our union with Christ, we also get redemption. Verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who are under the law. The word redeem means literally to, to purchase someone out of slavery, to buy you out of slavery. So if you're born under the law, you're born not only under uh, obedience to the law, but you're also un- born under the consequences of, of disobedience. And since all of us have disobeyed, 
All of us are slaves to the law. All of us are dead in our sin. And we need to be purchased out of slavery, purchased out of death. And the currency which God uses to purchase us is the blood of Jesus Christ. He bought us out of slavery by paying for our disobedience to the law. He purchased that for us at the cross. My son, Corbin, um, he's three, almost four. Is that right? Four, almost five. Okay, I'm a horrible dad. All right. Um, <clears throat> I don't even know how old I am, if that makes you feel better. But um, this winter, Corbin was throwing snowballs at our glass window. And he threw one snowball uh, as a four-year-old. Oh, he would have been three then, right? All right, so he would have been three. Whew. Anyways, he throws a snowball at our Pella window, and he breaks it. He shatters it, all right? And I'm looking out there, and I'm a little bit mad and a little bit proud, right? Because I'm like, my boy has an arm. This is exciting. Maybe this is our retirement fund. But, um, but so he breaks the window, and it's okay because we have a double-pane window, and so we leave it for the winter. A few weeks ago, I take it to the store to get it fixed, and the guy looks in, and he says, well, you know, it'll probably be about 80 bucks. And I'm like, oh, man, 80 bucks. Okay, go ahead. So he takes it in back, and he brings it back to me, and he goes, sorry, we can't fix it. It's a Pella window. It's glued in. You can't remove the glass. You have to go to the Pella dealership. So I drive all the way to the Pella dealership, and I take it to the guy, and hoping it's under warranty. It's not. And uh, $200 for a new window. And so I had to buy that out of my own pocket. Now, Corbin, I could have charged Corbin. I could have said, all right, Corbin, you're going to work hard until you pay that off. Corbin in his piggy bank probably has about $2.50, right? All of which I gave to him as pocket change. And so he, there's no way he could possibly pay for that window. I had to redeem his consequences onto myself. I had to absorb the penalty for that. I had to absorb the $200. That's what God does for us at the cross. He absorbs our penalty. He redeems us. He pays for what we have done. And he buys us. When he's talking about redemption here in verses 4 and 5, there's two things about Christ that he points out that are extremely important to our redemption. The first, and he says that Jesus is fully God. He said God sent forth his son. Jesus being the son of God is so extremely important for our redemption. Because if Jesus is God, then he can pay for a multitude of people. He can pay the price for a multitude of sinners. But if Jesus is only a man, then he could only pay for one other man. But because he is God, he can pay for all of those who are united to him. Secondly, it says that Jesus is fully man. It says Jesus is born of a woman, born under the law. Why this is so important is because if Jesus is born under the law, if he's born as a man, then he can represent me as a man. And he was born under the law, and he did something that no one else did. He perfectly obeyed it. He perfectly obeyed what I have disobeyed daily in my heart, in my mind. And at the cross, this great exchange happens in which Christ takes on my penalty for breaking the law. And I take on his blessings for his obedience to the law, for his perfect righteousness. And so because he is fully man, he can represent me before God. He can pay for my sin. And so the question for you is this. When you die and you stand before the throne of God, all of us will stand there. Who will be your representative to God? Will you say, 
when God says, why should I let you into heaven? Will you say, well, I'm going to be my own representative and look at all the good things I've done. I went to church all these times and I, I helped this old lady across the street when I was four and I flossed my teeth and whatever it is. Because God will say, I'm sorry. It doesn't work. You're not good enough. I demand perfection. But if you said, my representative is Jesus Christ, that's the only hope I have for salvation. God will say, it's good to have you home. Come on in. Who is your representative before God? Is it yourself or is it Christ? The next room we're going to look at in this mansion is that in union with Christ, you are sons of God. Verse 26 says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Skipping down to four or five, it says, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And so God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to earth, not only to rescue you, not only to redeem you, but to also make you a son to make you a daughter of his, so that you're no longer just a slave, but you're a son. This was God's plan to love you and pursue you and care for you. And through our union with Christ, we get this sonship with Jesus. And we get all the privileges and blessings that come with it. Adoption cannot be by good works. Many of you may have known of people who have adopted someone. And they don't adopt them because they have done such a good job, because they have such good grades. They adopt them because they love them. It's a unilateral decision. God has adopted all who trust in Christ, that you are his sons and daughters. Some of you may know of Joel and Denise Franks. They are friends from New Hope Church, and they adopted a girl from Russia. And when they adopted this girl from Russia, they gave her a new name, an American name, Anna. They gave her a new status as an American. They gave her a new family as brother of brothers and sisters. And she got a new dad. She got a new father. She got a new Abba, as the Bible calls it. And these were the blessings of adoption. And God says, I adopted you. I not only freed you from slavery, but I adopted you as my own child. So that you have a new family and that you can call me daddy. And so that's what God does through adoption. And it's so astonishing that Paul would write this to the Galatians because he spends most of the book saying, Galatians, you have been so foolish. You have been so idiotic. What are you thinking? And then he reminds them, but you are sons. You are daughters of God. You are the children of God. And you can cry out to him, Abba, Father. And so even in times that we are foolish, God says, call out to me, call out to me, say, dad, where are you? Dad, help me. Dad, I'm doubting. Dad, I'm struggling. If you trust in Christ, you're a son, you're a daughter. Go to your dad. The other time that this phrase is used in the Bible by Jesus is when he's in uh, his final hours before death and he cries out to his father, Abba, Father, would you take this cup from me? Would you rescue me from the cross? And so even in despair, you can call out to your dad. If you're in despair, if you're acting foolishly, no matter what your situation, if you're in Christ, you can cry out to dad. The God of the universe is your father. Finally, the room that we look in is in your union with Christ. You are 
possessed by the Holy Spirit. Verse 6 says it this way. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Because you are sons, God has sent his spirit into you. The amazing part of this verse right here is that the word sent, um, the exact same word with all its tenses and everything is used back in verse 4 when God says, when the fullness of time comes, God sent forth his son into the world. And so what Paul is saying is just as God has sent his son Jesus into the world, God sent his Holy Spirit into your hearts. It's like a double incarnation that Jesus became man and the Holy Spirit came into man. And it came into those that trust in Christ. In the same way God sent his son into the world, he sends him into us. To picture this, a good illustration, there's never really a great illustration to talk about how the Holy Spirit has come inside of us. But one illustration is like a glove. You take a glove, you pull it up, and it's kind of floppy, right? Nothing's in there. But when you stick your hand in, it fills the glove. What Christ tells us is that the hand of God comes into our life. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is one of the blessings you have in Christ. And through that, you can cry out, Abba, Father. One of the cool things here is it's saying a a testimony to the fact that you have the Holy Spirit in your heart and in your life isn't that you're doing these dramatic signs. It's not that you're speaking in tongues. It's not that you're flopping on the ground or dancing in the streets. What the sign is, is that in the quiet, desperate moments of your life, you're crying out, Abba, Father. He sent the Spirit into you so that you can go to your dad. And so, in union with Christ, we have this mansion with him. Of all these riches, all these blessings that are yours. When, uh, when I got married, one of the things that God says is that when you get married, two become one flesh. There's a, a union that happens in marriage. And with that, you have a lot of blessings that come with it. Um, first, you have blessings of just having a a great wife or a great husband and all the help that they are. But you also have the blessing of not only being united to them, but also kind of being united to their family, right? And so for me, I get a lot of blessings out of marrying Trish. And this isn't the reason why I married her. But out of it, I got a lake house. I got a cabin. I got a boat. I got Badger's tickets, you know. These are the blessings that come with this union of marriage. And what God says is when you come in union with Christ, there are so many blessings you can't even count. There are so many rooms in this mansion that you're going to be exploring it for the rest of your life. It's not a great job to do. For the rest of your life, if you trust in Christ, your job is to go and look and see and explore all the ways that God has so richly blessed you through your union with Jesus Christ. The ones that we looked at today just to go over very quickly, is that God justifies those who are united, united with Christ. He, he tells you that you are righteous. He views you as if you have never sinned. That we are one with other Christians. That we are united to each other. That we are the offspring of Abraham receiving all the blessings of salvation. That we are redeemed. That we have been purchased by Christ's blood. That we are sons of God and daughters of God. That we are his children and we can cry out to him, Abba, Father, in the good times and the bad, and that we are possessed by the Holy Spirit that is working in us and through us. And so it's so good. I'm glad I I could be your guide to walk through this mansion, to explore 
all the blessings you have in Christ. If you've ever seen Batman and you've ever seen this mansion, it is so enormous and so glorious and amazing. But it doesn't even hold a candle to the inheritance you have in Jesus Christ. Go explore the blessings you have. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you that you have not left us. You, you have not only redeemed us from slavery, but you have called us your sons and your daughters. And you have blessed us so richly in ways that we don't deserve, God. We are so thankful for all the blessings we have in Christ, Lord. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here who does not know you, who has never experienced these amazing blessings, that today they would consider what it would mean to trust in you, to be united to you, to experience the blessings that you give to us, Lord God. Lord, I pray that um, as we head to the table of grace, God, that you would that you would prepare our hearts, Lord, that we would take with great encouragement that you feed us in faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Every week at Jacob's Well, we partake of the Lord's Supper. And the reason why we do it is because we realize that we are weak, that we are sinful human beings. And God tells us that not only do we nourish ourselves physically by eating the bread, but it's actual spiritual nourishment as well when it's received by faith. Just as when you hear the word of God and you receive it by faith, it nourishes your soul. When you partake of the Lord's Supper by faith, it nourishes your soul. But if you're here today and you are not sure if you're a Christian, if you're not sure if you have been united to Jesus Christ, we would ask you just to wait, to contemplate what it would mean to trust in Christ. This table doesn't belong to Jacob's well, doesn't belong to the Presbyterian Church of America. This belongs to Jesus Christ. And so if you trust in Christ, come and feast and be nourished in your soul. Jesus